This episode was recorded in March 2019 in Toronto at the Renaissance Society of America conference. This is the second Refashioning the Renaissance podcast. My name is Paula Hohti and I'm the principal investigator of this project. And I am joined today by our latest postdoc, Sophie Pittman, who joined our project a couple months ago. And we are talking today about reconstruction. Hello, um, and I am delighted to have joined the project and uh, to be here in Toronto having a conversation um, which is a nice bridge for me between uh, my my new postdoc position on the refashioning project and my former postdoc um, position on the making and knowing project. So Paula and I are joined today um, by Professor Pamela Smith, who is the director of the making and knowing project based at Columbia University. And Pamela is a historian of uh, the early modern period, particularly the history of science. So welcome, Pamela. Thank you. I'm really delighted to be here and to find out more, to learn more about the Refashioning the Renaissance project. Great. Well, thanks for joining us. Maybe we could begin um, with you giving us uh, a brief overview of the Making and Knowing project. The Making and Knowing project started in 2014, and it began around a fascinating 16th century French manuscript, which seems to be the first-hand experience of a practitioner, um, very possibly a craftsperson, who um, wrote down many, many techniques and observations of all kinds of um, workshop procedures in late 16th century France. And um, we've been working on it now uh, for five years, and it will, the digital critical edition of this um, about 340-page manuscript will go live or be released in December 2019. And the project itself is meant not only to look at this manuscript, but also to uh, think about what are the intersections between craft making and the kind of certainty that we find in the natural sciences, both the um, historical connections between them, but also the, uh, the epistemological connections between these two forms of knowing. So I think maybe a good place to start our discussions today is to think about reconstruction as a methodology. Because on the Refashioning the Renaissance project, we're trying to um, think about ways to, to understand um, the, the clothes, the fashion that, that people, artisans, uh, popular people on the street were wearing. But many of these objects don't survive. And, and we have quite limited traces, both in archival and visual records, too, of, of these, these things. So, we are turning to reconstruction as a way to to bring sources um, to life that, that no longer exist. But there is a slightly different motivation, I think, to, to reconstruction on the Making and Knowing project. So perhaps uh, you could tell us a little bit about, about why you turned to reconstruction as a methodology and some of the aims you had when you were thinking about this as a way of understanding the manuscript. The first reason that I turned to reconstruction was that the manuscript itself, which is a very complicated or complex document, um, it's not a straightforward how-to by any means, it's not an instruction manual, it's a record of practice and experience, and it's a 
you know, very convoluted, contradictory, repeats itself, you know, is a very confused document. So I couldn't understand what I desperately wanted to understand when I first started reading this manuscript, which was, um, which were the uh, casting from life recipes. Uh, it, the, the manuscript has an enormous number of um, recipes that aren't recorded or processes for doing various um, art, making certain art objects um, that aren't recorded in any other written document. And so the, um, one of those processes is life casting, very detailed, the most detailed account of life casting that we have um, from that period. Uh, so I was very interested in life casting, and I realized that I needed a skilled maker to really read the manuscript or actually, you know, decipher and figure out the manuscript. And so that was very successful. We were able to examine objects in museums, uh, life cast objects, and see that those, um, the processes that we were recreating in the laboratory um, at the Rijksmuseum um, in Amsterdam were there were traces of those processes on the objects, the the sixteenth century objects, life cast objects. So, so it was just so um, revealing of what the way in which you could decipher processes um, from this manuscript and from the reconstruction of the manuscript. Now, what we discovered in doing that was that it really became a new kind of close reading of this document. Uh, so it's, it was quite, um, it was really revelatory to me, but it was also just revelatory as a historian who has worked on craft and craft as knowledge in that period and crafts people as part of the um, formation of the new science in the 17th century. It was just very ins both revealing and inspiring to me to come to see what kind of knowledge craftspeople had. Now, you know, I'd been working on craftspeople forever, but I'd been working on them in terms of finished objects, looking at finished objects, and reading, above all, their texts. And, you know, their knowledge can't be put in texts, including this, this manuscript, of course. And they say that themselves. Yes. You know, they preface these yeah. texts by saying, what I know can't be communicated entirely by language, uh, and yeah. and yet they still try. I mean, oh, that's, yes. that's the yeah. that's the yeah. kind of excitement of this period is that they still too turn to text to mm. communicate what they know, but but we can't necessarily read it mm. and and get a full appreciation for what they were doing. So I realized in reconstruction that this was an incredibly valuable really pedagogic, it taught me so much. And so I thought my students, my art history students, my history of science students, subjects which deal with the material world, but which have always um, dealt with it in a very intellectualized way and certainly a very textual way, more or less. Uh, and so I, it was one way to get the manuscript investigated was to start this project um, and to reconstruct the recipes in the lab with the students. I mean, we never could have done it just, you know, one person or even, you know, one person and three postdocs. Um, we really needed a whole team, and that was provided by the students. Um, and so it became, over time, not just a piece of evidence or, or a tool for deciphering the manuscript, 
and a piece of evidence for understanding the early modern period, the material world at that time, uh, but also a wonderful pedagogical tool. And I think that in some ways that will be its um, strongest outcome or it will, you know, carry, I hope it will carry through, you know, through these students realizing that they can, um, you know, engage in this kind of investigation and teach their students that it could really bring a change in terms of how um, humanities approach material culture. Yeah. What can we learn from reconstruction? Mm -hmm. um, deciphering materials, deciphering um, texts, close reading of texts. I can give some examples of what I think is the strongest outcome, which is new questions. It raises questions that we have never even thought to ask. They are, uh, you know, when you begin to examine the material world and begin to see through the kinds of assumptions that we make, the kinds of hierarchies that we have imposed on the past, um, both hierarchies of the difference between material and intellectual, the difference between book knowledge and experiential hands-on knowledge, um, the kinds of categories of understanding what the aim of a process is um, and, you know, the kinds of categories that are really largely assigned in art history, I think, in the 18th and 19th century um, in terms of what is a work of art, really, what counts as a work of art, and then all of the kinds of ways in which we categorize those works of art. Um, so, so that's the, one of the strongest things. Reconstruction made us question all of those things and really think about the, you know, think about the material world and think about the, um, you know, question um, what we really knew about the material world uh, in that period, in the early modern period. So, so it's both a tool for evidence, I mean, it's another tool in the toolbox of evidence that historians have, um, but also it just raises completely new questions. And one of the, the pushbacks that sometimes I receive from other academics when I uh, describe some of the reconstructions that I have done or that we intend to do on the project, for example, um, you know, what what does it mean that we're going to go off for a week and learn uh, how to weave? What does that really tell us about the past? Um, so we're used as historians to understanding the limitations of other sources, the pitfalls of the archive, the, the chance survival of certain documents or the biases that they have. Um, but with your experience now of, of uh, the, the Making a Knowing project, um, as well as, as your prior reconstruction experience, um, what would you say uh, to people who were interested in doing reconstruction but were a little bit skeptical? What warnings mm. do you have? What mm. caveats? Well, first of all, like any other historical um, investigation, you have to be totally upfront about what what are the limits of your materials and what are the limits of your sources. And there's no question that the the limits are manifold in terms of reconstruction. I mean, we have a 1950s chemistry laboratory where we undertake our reconstructions, and that we're not allowed to use open flame. Now, you know, control of heat, especially in metalworking or in any other process in the early modern period, was 
a highly developed and highly skilled area of knowledge. Um, charcoal fires versus oak, you know, fresh oak versus cured oak, all kinds of differences that were second nature probably to a lot of these craftspeople, um, but we have no way of integrating into the project. That is a huge compromise. So, but you know, we realize that and we um, are working with that. Now also sourcing uh, authentic materials. What does that mean? Sometimes we don't even know what those uh, materials are. In some cases, they simply don't exist anymore, like Glasgow or Sandiver. Um, so, so it's, you know, there are just many, many compromises, but that's the thing that we teach the students to begin with, which is what are the compromises? What will it mean to your reconstruction or what will it potentially mean to your reconstruction to make those compromises? And then what kind of evidence do you have in the end? And we are trying for a very um, uh, constrained kind of body of evidence, which we call proof of concept, which is the students are asking a historical question and writing, but what the students are doing are writing the critical commentary for this critical edition of the manuscript. And so they write essays um, which are informed by their hands-on work, their textual work, their you know, search for other pro accounts of processes like they are investigating um, from the period. Uh, and these essays are meant to ask an interesting historical question which can in some ways be answered by their reconstruction. And it's meant to be an open-ended question. And that's really the important point which, um, the important goal I think that uh, is, you know, in, that we are about on the Making and Knowing Project about, you know, using reconstruction to in some ways open up questions, not to, you know, for example, a conservator might really need to find out what's in that um, material, that paint, that ground layer that's on a painting in order to know how to treat it. Um, we don't have those constraints. We are much more interested in, you know, having the students and to a certain extent, you know, understanding ourselves, opening up questions, but also seeing is this a process that actually works and is there evidence on the historical artifacts? Just like my collaborator and I, um, when we first started the, started the reconstructions, were doing. I mean, we were looking at historical artifacts and seeing if these processes described in the manuscript actually created those art, you know, could create something like those artifacts. And so that's proof of concept. I mean, both proof of concept and opening up new questions or further questions um, for historical research. So I know that you know you have been looking at inventories and trying to identify um, textiles and all everything around um, dress, um, articles of clothing, etc. Uh, and, and now you're going to undertake reconstructions to a certain extent through the work of expert makers. So although on the Making and Knowing Project we invite in expert makers um, for to help skill build and help train the students in the particular process that we're investigating that year, um, we have had the students do the reconstruction. So I'm very curious, um, you know, how you're thinking about reconstruction and what you will get out of it by uh, what I understand to be a kind of different method. So the experimental phase of, of the refashioning 
the Renaissance project is is, is your right to say much more kind of open-ended and experimental in itself um, because we don't have a, a sort of object like yeah. like the like the uh, manuscript so we have a range of information mm. that we know and we have a range of questions that we we want to answer so the information we have is some inventories uh, some other archival records so account books diaries and letters some some written accounts that uh, artisans and other people from the, the popular class, the middling sort, left behind. So we have some written work. We have some visual evidence of what they were wearing. And we also have some surviving objects in various states of repair, some well-preserved and others not well at all. So what are the different ways that we can, how, how can we combine these sources and, and provide a more thorough and, and more satisfying account for us and, and for people who we want to communicate this information to? And so reconstruction seems like one possible way. Um, now, we're not sure exactly what our outcome will be, uh, I think the first outcome is, is, as you say, to get us to ask new questions of the sources we do have. So if we think um, we would like to reconstruct a doublet, and this is, is really our, our sort of capstone reconstruction, is, is that we're going to try to reconstruct a fashionable artisan's doublet um, from the early modern era. And we're going to commission this from expert makers but while we're commissioning it, we are going to, to try to do each step in the process, starting from processing fibers. So how do you cultivate some silk and, and uh, construct a thread from it? How do you select some wool, comb it, clean it, make, turn it into thread? How do you weave? to make some fabric and then learn to do some tailoring? Now we're not expecting overnight in, in a few months and a few years to become expert enough to make a doublet that would be a satisfying outcome to communicate to members of the public and to learn from ourselves. Um, so we want to take part in the processes, but then we also want to work with expert makers who who have essentially undergone apprenticeships and, and have the, the hands-on skill to make something that that might live up to the, the standards of the early modern period. But in doing this process, as you as you suggest, we are forced to ask new questions constantly of the information we we do have. So, what does a fashionable artisan want to wear? If we turn to our inventories, we see a lot of different um, imitation materials, so fake silver or combination materials, so a blend of linen and wool, mm -hmm. maybe with a little bit of of silk trimming. What colors were they wearing? Um, where were they sourcing this material from? These kinds of questions uh, that, that we have to answer to commission a doublet forces us to turn to our, back to our sources and answer some, some questions like that. Yeah, so basically we have quite many different aims with this kind of experimentation. That one is obviously to try to make visible something that doesn't exist. We don't actually have these artisan doublets. Um, in surviving objects. We don't have them in visual record. We, we have them in, in written record, but it's very difficult to, to engage with that actual object, to, to try to, to imagine how it feels, what it looked like. So that's one of the aims. And, and then um, a very important aim for us is also to, to really understand the process, how it was made, and to think about these 
uh, these products like for example an artisan doublet um, to see it as a, as a process and not just as a product and and this way to try to understand that the really multiple and complex meanings that this this material can can um, provide us and this kind of information is not available in in history books but it is it is kind of uh, in in these objects in these processes and in the materials so we are really trying to engage with that um, through reconstruction in order to gain access to artisan cultures and, and to, to gain access to their fashion and to the meanings of the objects. And what it does to the body, I suppose, also. I mean, how you wear it, how you interact with these fabrics, yeah. how it feels. Um, That's very important as well. And, and when I was writing this, <clears throat> this grant proposal, that was one, one of the points that they picked up in, in the interview when I was interviewed for the grant, that they thought it was a really interesting question, that the experience of getting dressed, how, what is the actual experience of getting dressed? So, like... With this doublet, for example, we can, we can test it and we can try it. And of course, we can never fully um, reconstruct the experience, but, but we can still say a lot of things about how, how it feels to, to move in that kind of a garment or how comfortable it is or what kind of sound it makes or mm. what, what does it smell like, maybe, or things like that. So that's definitely a very important aspect of reconstruction for us. So it strikes me um, that this moment is a very exciting one for historians, historians of art and science. Um, in engaging with reconstruction, we are starting to reach beyond our disciplinary boundaries, but also outside of the universities, outside of the academy, and start collaborating with craftspeople, with conservators, with curators, and with members of the public more broadly. Um, and this is as we know, very early days for, for our projects and for, for reconstruction as a methodology. But um, I think what I would like to ask you both is, is what do you think might be the future of reconstruction? Or where, where, sh where do we go from here? What's, what's next? Mm. Well, from my perspective, I guess that, especially as a historian of science who is interested in the intersections between craft making and scientific knowing, I am thrilled that this is a process, which reconstruction is a process that forces you to work with others, including natural scientists, chemists, uh, conservator, conservation scientists, uh, with people, anthropologists. Um, so material culture necessitates that. The study of material culture and especially reconstruction necessitates that. and. I think that if that, you know, interdisciplinarity has been talked about for decades and it's very hard to find examples of uh, research projects that have or, you know, collaborations between natural scientists and, and um, humanities scholars that have really been substantive research projects and I think that the investigation of the material world in the past offers that or can can um, allow us to do that. Now it's a very different form of research for the humanities, the collaborative research, um, you know, hands-on, non-textual, um, uh, even, you know, 
in some ways no objects there either, but just the records of objects. So it really will depend upon whether we can solve certain problems, like what does it mean to do collaborative research in the humanities? I actually think that's the least of our problems. I think that it works wonderfully. (laughs) And, you know, all these new projects are examples of that. The probably a much bigger problem is the problem of funding, because, of course, this is um, any collaborative work is needs to be funded. Uh, and especially material research. And I think that Europe is ahead of the United States in this with the large ERC grants like um, your project is funded by. Um, And then finally, I think it's a matter of how do you integrate it into the academy? You know, we have courses in the academy which are two hours long. That's not nearly long enough to do any sort of, um, any sort of making project, uh, you know, if you're trying to integrate, as we are in our seminars, in our craft and science seminars, trying to integrate, uh, you know, analysis and discussion of texts and making um, practice, skill building, making procedures, it's incredibly time consuming and we kind of stretch over, you know, three periods of, um, of class time. So, so that's a real problem. I mean, we have to figure out how to actually, if it's going to last, how to fund it and how to um, integrate it into training. And, and also how to communicate it to, yes. to our, our fellow academics and, and the wider public, because um, it strikes me that there are a lot of opportunities to communicate this through digital means through uh, using the internet, video, photography, Mm -hmm. etc. But yet, how do we keep it um, credible within the within the field? How does one footnote experience? um, Mm -hmm. How do we incorporate visual transformations or sensory experiences Mm -hmm. that we are learning are important in these processes, but that are very hard to communicate in Mm -hmm. written form. Mm -hmm. And what do we do with all the objects that we've created? (laughs) It's a real problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, How to conserve them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where to conserve them. Yeah. Yeah, I also think it's it's, uh, quite interesting to see how, how we will combine in the future uh, digital, digital reconstruction with uh, historical reconstruction and I think that could be an, an area of investigation which is not very well investigated yet at least not among among historians and and that will be an interesting development maybe mm-hmm. um, in the reconstruction and uh, I just can't wait when when we just start getting some some um, new researchers asking new questions based on what we do now and 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 who knows where it leads to what mm. kind of mm. new questions new generations will ask yeah that's one of the things that i think is so exciting about this is that it's it really is a big experiment i mean an experiment in evidence an experiment in you know, historical methodology and experiment in pedagogy. And I, I'm always reminded of this wonderful quote from a from an artist, um, Elizabeth King, a really wonderful, um, you know, living artist. Uh, and she says, only process saves us from the poverty of our intentions. So I feel like we won't know where this is going to lead, but it's very exciting to... Um, think that our students might be able to take away and ask new questions. 
I think that's a very nice uh, way to, to end this very interesting discussion. So thank you so much, Pamela, for, for joining us uh, for this podcast. And thank you so much, Sophie, for joining this podcast and our project. And I'm very much looking forward to our future collaboration with Making a Knowing Project. Uh, likewise, this has been really a privilege to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks. And we will share on our website links to the Making a Knowing um, website and videos. So if, if you're listening and you want to learn more, uh, we'll provide links to find that out.